Hi, my name is Christy Kramer, and this is Michigan Unsolved, the true crime podcast that is solely focusing on unsolved cases in Michigan. There is no case too small. My goal is to give victims of unsolved crimes the voice they deserve. Hey everyone, welcome back. I have some pretty big news to share. I believe it was last week or maybe the week before that I mentioned that we were now currently being listened to in six countries outside of the U.S. Well, as of last week, we're up to eight. So we added Portugal and Poland to the list. So now that's besides the United States, we've got Canada, Germany, Poland, United Kingdom, France, Japan, Australia, and Portugal. So I really want to say a big hey there, hi there to all of our international listeners. We are so glad to have you here with us. And I hope you get some really good information from today's case because it's a doozy. And it's actually kind of interesting how this goes because I apparently had been living under a rock and I had never heard of the Alex Murdoch case. And it's funny because as I was researching today's case, anytime I would go online to get information, the first thing that would pop up was like information about the Murdoch trial. And I'm like, what, what is this? You know, I've been kind of on a binge watching Young Sheldon kick, which is on HBO Max. And um, that is not a plug for HBO Max, but um, this, I've been watching Young Sheldon on HBO Max, so I don't watch a lot of normal TV. We, we cut the cable ties a while back, and I don't watch a lot of, like, current live stuff. So I don't really know what's going on in the world, and I kind of like it that way because a lot of stuff is just beyond messed up right now. I don't want to think about that kind of stuff. So anyway, so I didn't really know anything about the Alex Alex Murdoch trial. And then, um, like I said, it would keep popping up on the web browsers. And I'm like, what is this? This dude killed his wife and son? What? You know, I'd never heard of this before. Then I happened to um, turn on Netflix and there was this whole special documentary on Alex or the Murdoch family. Now, mind you, um, this case took place in South Carolina. So obviously this is not something that I'm going to be covering. There may be, I have been thinking about um, adding a subscription service to the podcast or possibly starting another podcast where I will be doing other cases outside of Michigan. That's a long way off. That's just something that I'm kind of thinking of. And trust me, this one would be covered. But um, so anyway, so I started watching the Netflix special and I started doing just a little bit of digging in on the Murdoch case. And it's extremely heart wrenching and so sad that this was going on under so many people's noses because if you didn't live in low country South Carolina, you really didn't know much about them. Um, and it, the more I look into it, it's like real life Dallas or something, you know, it's, it's just completely unbelievable how 
this family kind of just had so much control over this whole town. But my point is, is that small towns and more so rural areas, things happen that don't get national attention. And small town USA, whether it be in Michigan, Ohio, Nebraska, wherever, it has a different mentality than living in the city. And I've grown up in, um, I've never lived in small town USA. I mean, I went from Detroit to Warren and there's, you know, a gas station on every corner. There's a McDonald's everywhere. There's a Walmart or, you know, whatever. I don't understand the isolation. I would, I would have to say it that way. You know, people say, you know, I'm never going to get out of this town. You hear that on the TV, you hear that on TV shows and stuff like that, but you don't really fully get it, you know? So these, these kids down in South Carolina that were all involved with the Murdoch family and, and whatnot, and they, they're just, I, I don't know. It, it, it really plays into today's case because this today's case occurred in essentially small town Michigan. Okay. Small town USA in Michigan. I mean, Hey guys, just going to give you a little bit of forewarning here. I am having some issue with the platform that I'm using and it seems to be cutting out every few minutes. So I'm going to have to do a little bit of editing magic. So just FYI, in case you notice some broken spots, um, I'm going to make sure you get as much information as possible. All of the information will be there, but if you notice some little bit of jumps because of the editing, I apologize. Um, it's not my intention, but for whatever reason, it's like stopping the recording like every five minutes. So anyway, let's get right into today's story. Um, this is the disappearance of 27-year-old Kyle Allen Mosier. Houghton Lake is Michigan's largest inland lake, and it offers year-round adventures of all kinds. And you've got um, skiing in the winter, um, ice fishing, um, water sports in the summer, just about anything you could possibly think of, including riding ATVs and um, hiking, just anything you could possibly imagine, this entire area has it. So Houghton Lake and its surrounding smaller lakes and communities are located in the upper central portion of the Lower Peninsula. Now, I know that could be confusing unless you live in Michigan, but if you're looking at your hand like the mitten, because who um, from Michigan doesn't use their hand to tell you where they're going to go on vacation, you're probably, you're looking at about the second knuckle of your middle finger. So that kind of gives you an idea roughly, just maybe just above that second knuckle. That's where Houghton Lake is. And it's a very popular weekend destination for those of us in the southern portion of Michigan because it's no more than four hours from any point in the state. And so if you're from the Lower Peninsula, like literally anywhere from any point in the Lower Peninsula, it's no more than four hours. So... I think even at the furthest point, it's only like three hours, 50 minutes. So it's, it's definitely 
a really nice go-to area for weekend vacations because it's easily travelable. Like if I were to go up to the UP from my house, that's like a whole day's worth of travel. So that's not really something that's easy for a weekend. But Houghton Lake and the surrounding communities, it's perfect. There's Higgins Lake up there and a bunch of other small lakes that are really popular. So the entire area contains small towns and rural communities. Like I said, it's it's kind of, it reminds me a lot of like the Murdoch community where it's very, it's small and they kind of keep to themselves in a way, but the communities all know each other. Like around here, because our cities are so big, like I live in Warren, which is like the second biggest city in the state. And we were right up next to Detroit, but our, like, even though Detroit and Warren are next to each other, we don't really communicate. Like, I don't know people two miles away, you know, whereas somebody from Houghton Lake may be, may know somebody from Cadillac and that will come into play later because it is so rural up there that everybody knows everybody kind of thing. You know, the, the populations are much smaller up there. So today's case takes be, takes place between Houghton Lake and Cadillac, Michigan, which is about 40 miles between the two. But again, it's not like 40 miles in a more densely populated area. It's all mainly swamps and dense wooded areas and stuff like that. So it's, it's, not populated by like a lot of people there's cabins and stuff like that which again will come into play but it's not like big towns and, and things like that so one of the one area between the two is called the dead man swamp so or dead i'm sorry dead stream swamp and that area is well known to locals as a place to hunt and fish four-wheel because there's a lot of hilly terrain. There's a lot of trails in that area. Um, up there, they call them two tracks, which is essentially a, a wider trail that has, um, that's been driven on by a lot of vehicles and it's created two tracks essentially. So that's what they call them up there. And there's also other trails too. Um, but it's, it's a place that's so desolate that one person became lost to his family for 10 years. And this is a man who's literally missing without a trace. Now, this is not like, like I said, this is not a big area. This is not a densely populated area. This is a very big wooded open area. And it's hard to believe like something like that could happen. But apparently um, this is in an area where people actually do go missing and it's I don't want to call it like the Bermuda Triangle but you know it's it's to me it's very odd and I'm going to be doing more research into this entire area because I've heard of other people going missing and um it's really kind of mind-boggling mind-boggling to me how that even happens out there but so anyway um let's get into Kyle's story um on Friday July 19th 2013 27-year-old Kyle Mosier and his fiance Kelly made plans for a day of family fun on Lake James. Now, Kyle and his fiance Callie lived in Cadillac, 
and Kyle's mom lived in Houghton Lake. That's where Kyle had grown up. Now, like I said, there's about a 40 miles between the two. Okay, and Lake James is just south of Houghton Lake. It's actually connected to Houghton Lake by a small creek called Denton Creek. So um, one of Kyle's friends actually owned a house on Lake James, and they were going to have like a um, barbecue kind of thing, and the kids were going to be swimming and all that. So before heading to Lake James to Kyle's friend's house, they stopped at Kyle's mom's in Houghton Lake to drop off one of his daughters. Uh, She was one at the time and she had tubes in her ears. So instead of her not being able to swim with her brother and her baby sister, um, she was going to have a sleepover at grandma's house. So around 1130 a.m., On that Friday, uh, Kyle and his family arrived at his friend's house on Lake James for this fun-filled day of swimming and barbecue. Then uh, later in that that afternoon, um, Kyle left his family to continue their fun, and he wanted to go check on his little girl at his mom's house. And he went there about 5.30 p.m. and checked on his daughter and talked to his mom for a little bit. And that was the last time uh, his mom, Michelle Fowler, saw her son. So this was about 5.30 that Friday. Now, from what Michelle told me, um, after this is what she was told. Now, um, after leaving her house, uh, Kyle stopped by another friend's house who lived in the area. And one of... Uh, his friend's brothers was there. Now, this was an, this man was a little bit, a few years older. The brother, who was Kyle's friend, um, was Kyle's age. So this guy was a couple of years older, and his name is Brian. And Kyle was not, like, he was acquainted with him, but he didn't really know him. It wasn't like, you know, they didn't hang out or anything like that. But he was his friend's brother, so, you know, of course, they were um, acquainted. Well, Brian um, needed a ride back to Cadillac to pick something up and then to come back to the friend's house. So, you know, he said, hey, you know, I'll give you gas money if you can give me a lift. And Kyle was like, well, you know, okay." He agreed to give Brian a ride. um, But unfortunately, he did not know that things were going to go terribly wrong. So Kyle's fiance, Callie her mom had gone out of town for a month. She was going to be out of state. I'm not sure why, if it was for work or whatever, but she was going to be gone for a long period of time. And she left the pair with her reddish Toyota Tundra pickup truck to use while she was gone, which, you know, super sweet of her. Um, this was a front wheel drive Toyota. It was not four wheel drive, not a four by four. It was just a regular small pickup truck. You know, something that, you know, a woman, no offense to women, I'm a woman, but you know, it's something I would call it maybe like a girly truck. You know, it doesn't have the big lifted tires and all that. It's just a, a small general pickup. Um, this was the vehicle that Kyle was driving to, um, <coughs> to Cadillac. So earlier that morning, earlier on that Friday, uh, Kyle actually took possession of a young 
brindle colored pit bull named Holly. And she had been um, a pup. He, Kyle had a dog and his dog had puppies and he had given one of the puppies to a friend of his and um, he couldn't take care of her anymore. She was, she was young. Um, I'm not exactly sure how old she was, but he, he couldn't really take care of her. So Kyle took her back you know, being the responsible person he was, he, he took her back so that, um, he could find another home for her. And like I said, he took, he got, he took possession of her that morning and he was going to, you know, he was going to take this drive with Brian to Cadillac. So he actually took, he actually had Holly in the truck with him because, um, you know, this wasn't a dog that they were really familiar with. She wasn't bonded with anybody. So Kyle just thought it was safer to keep the dog with him. So Holly was in the truck with Kyle and Brian that fateful evening. Now, um, this part is coming from what Brian told the police and Kyle's family. So none of this has actually been verified. And there's really no way to verify it because the only person that knows what happened after that point is Brian and Kyle. So en route to Cadillac, no, I'm sorry, on the way back to Houghton Lake from Cadillac, um, Brian states that they took like a back road and ended up on a trail. Now, remember I mentioned the truck earlier, this was not a four wheel drive vehicle. And it really had no business being on any back roads or trails. And Kyle was well aware of the truck's abilities or lack thereof. And he had spent enough time on trails growing up to know better than to take a non-off-road vehicle down a trail. Must, you know, this this was not even like a two-track. This was just essentially a trail. You know, nothing, there was no grooves, nothing to follow. It was just a trail. Not even like a cleared trail. So, um, as they were heading down this trail, the, the truck became stuck. It had driven over a, like a tree stump and gotten stuck. So literally this was not a drivable trail. It had not been cleared. It, and not to mention that, uh, Kyle's mom pointed out that you figure if Kyle left, if Kyle and Brian left Houghton Lake around six o'clock, six, six thirty, drove the nearly hour to Cadillac, Brian got whatever he got, and then they were heading back. You're looking at closer to eight o'clock and on July 19th, it's already going to be starting to get dark at that point. So who in their right mind would be on back roads, on trails in a non four by four truck? It doesn't make any sense. And really, Michelle, Kyle's mom, does not feel that was something that her son would be doing. And this information is coming from Brian. So like I said, we have to take all of this with a grain of salt because there's no way to verify it. So um, they became stuck. Um, At that point, both Kyle and Brian left the truck and they took Holly and they started to walk on foot. Brian told Kyle's family at that point they were using Kyle's phone as a flashlight. Now, back then, they, most people, uh, especially in that area, I'm being told that in like 2013, a lot of people still had flip phones. 
Um, I believe kind of like the iPhones were just starting to come out. A lot of people still had phones that had like minutes on them. And Kyle's phone did not have minutes. And they were using, he had a flip phone and they were using it as like a flashlight. So there was no way that he could even make a phone call. And there really was no way that they could track the phone because it just wasn't, it was more like a track phone, like a, almost like what we would call now a burner phone type of thing. So according to uh, Brian, they walked deeper into the woods and at some point, Holly, the pit bull, got loose and ran off and Kyle went after her. Now, like I said, Holly wasn't bonded to Kyle, so that would explain why she would quite easily run off. Um, and Brian's family told him, told them that, um, like I said, Kyle went after Holly, but he decided to keep walking out of the woods without Kyle. Again, what kind of person does that? I do not know. Um, my thing is it's better to be safety and numbers stay together, especially because this area is known to have bear and it's dark at this point. Like seriously, none of this makes sense. I'm completely, the more I talked to Kyle's mom and listened to some other interviews that she gave, I, it just infuriates me because there's no sense to Brian's story whatsoever. So, um, about 10 p.m. that night, Kyle hadn't returned to Lake James to, to Callie and the kids. So she called uh, Kyle's mom and he, she's like, hey, you know, have you, do you know where Kyle's at? And she told her the last she had seen him was at 530 when he came to check on, on the one-year-old. And, you know, of course, Callie is starting to worry. So by the next morning, Kyle still hadn't come back and his family and friends are really starting to freak out now. They start to search for him. They're calling hospitals. They're driving back and forth between Cadillac and Houghton Lake looking for any sign of him. And now at this point, remember, Kyle and Brian are both missing. Now, I have not seen any reports of Brian's family searching for him in particular, but um, Kyle's family was extremely active in searching for him right from the get-go. Kyle's mom, Michelle, again, knew that being out of contact from his family was extremely out of character. Uh, Michelle says that Kyle was the type to like literally call her 15 times a day. Um, and she, he was extremely close to his sister and he loved Callie, his fiance and his children so much to completely go off the grid like that just made no sense. And it was, it was just so much not like him. So Michelle at that point called the police to report him missing in Houghton Lake. Cause that's where she, that's where she lived. And technically that's where he disappeared from. That was where he was technically last seen by, by anyone. Because at that point, like I said, Brian was still considered missing as well. But the police in Houghton Lake told her that because Callie and Kyle and Callie were living together in Cadillac, Callie would have to be the one to report him missing to the Cadillac police. So off they went to the station to report him missing. Now, Kyle was a great dad and a wonderful fiance, and his life was heading in an awesome direction with his family. 
But in his younger years, he did have some run-ins with the law. And even though he'd been living a much more, for lack of the better words, grown-up lifestyle, his past growing up in Houghton Lake was about to come back to haunt him and his loved ones. When Callie and Michelle tried to file a missing persons report with the Cadillac Police Department, the officer working that day was a former Houghton Lake officer who knew Kyle from his younger years. He actually laughed at the two worried women and said, it's just Kyle, and refused to take a police report because he figured Kyle had just run off. Okay, now let me stop right there because Michelle actually gave me this police officer's name and oh my goodness, would I love to put him on blast right now, but I'm not going to. I'm going to refrain from that. But come on. Let's be real here, people. I have covered case after case after case where the inept thought process of certain police officers are what cause some of these bad things to happen. It's like just because somebody had a bad past does not mean they don't have a potential for a good future. And I think that's something that's so important to remember because it's like this man, yeah, he was, he did stupid stuff. I mean, my kid, 18 years old, has done stupid stuff. And now he's, you know, working a full-time job, making great money and doing great things with his life. People can make, I made bad decisions when I was younger. That doesn't mean that my future isn't worthy. And I really, I, I, was, I became so infuriated talking to Michelle and listening to what she had to say or reading what she had to say to me through our text exchange. But this, this one little point just, sorry, but pissed me off because this was a mother and a fiance terrified for their loved one. And you laugh at them and say, oh, it's just Kyle. Where was the respect for human life? And here we are 10 years later. Okay, I'll get off my soapbox for a minute. So the next day, still no sign of Kyle. And, um, or Brian, for that matter, um, Callie went back, Callie and her mom actually went back to the police station and demanded a report to be filed. And they wanted them to be taken seriously. And at some point during the conversation, she explained that Kyle was driving her mom's truck. Okay. So because the truck did not belong to Kyle, the police suggested that Callie's mom report it stolen by Kyle. That way, there would be another resource they could use to locate both Kyle and the truck. Now, when I first heard this, I'm thinking the same thing that Callie and her mom were thinking at the time. Hmm, good idea, right? The more research, the better. Resources, the better. Hindsight being 2020, to me, I feel like this was just a move like a power move by the police. Reason being is that Callie's mom agreed and had them list her Toyota Tundra as a stolen vehicle and that Kyle Mosier was the person who took it to help with the investigation. 
Okay. This, however, allowed the police to issue a felony warrant against Kyle for auto theft. Something I'm sure the police found joy in. Seriously. What was the point of that? In order to do that, they would have had to have gone through the prosecutor to get this felony warrant issued. And it just mind boggles me. What was the point of that? So Callie and her mom um, and Kyle's family that the police, Callie, her mom and Kyle's family felt that the police cared more about the truck than Kyle. That's how it came out looking. I mean, let's be real here. This is literally like you care more about finding a truck. And the warrant did nothing but hurt the case because it put a bad light on Kyle. So here you've got this warrant out for this man for auto theft and nobody's thinking about looking for this missing person. They're thinking about, let's go, you know, they're looking for a car thief. So, um, the truck was only reported stolen. Like as I said, the truck was only reported stolen to help assist in the investigation because I'm sure Callie's mom would have given up her truck a hundred times over to have Kyle back with his family. So um, that would have been, that was like, you know, Saturday, Sunday. Um, then on Monday, November, um, I'm sorry, Monday, July 22nd, a woman in Lake City, Michigan got a knock on her door. The person at her door was somebody that she vaguely recognized. He was a former employee of her husband. It was Brian. He claimed that he had been lost in the woods since Friday night and had been breaking into cabins along the way to find shelter. And he actually asked for a ride to back to Houghton Lake. Um, she denied the ride. I think I believe she was home alone. Um, don't blame her there. I wouldn't have given him a ride either. But uh, she later told uh, Kyle's mom that Brian did not appear to have spent any time in the woods, let alone one day, two days, three days. He was clean. He, um, you would think, like I said, this area was very swampy, very muddy. Um, very dense wooded area. If you're been in the woods for three days taking shelter, breaking into cabins, um, you're going to have, you're going to look like it, you know? And she states that he did not look like, look like he had been in the woods. So uh, the police did investigate some of the cabins that Brian states that he had broken into to find shelter and they located some of Kyle's clothes. Brian's excuse for this was because he uh, did not have extra clothes and Kyle had some in the truck. So I don't know if he was saying that Kyle told him to go ahead and put the clothes on or what, but they did find some of Kyle's clothes in one of the cabins. So these woods that they were lost, quote unquote, lost in, um, were not unfamiliar to Brian. Brian actually grew up riding motorbikes and races, and he was actually very familiar with these particular woods. 
So a lot of people find it interesting that he was quote unquote lost because he, he knew his way around the area. So that's just something to consider. And um, as soon as Michelle found out that Brian had been seen, she went straight to him. She found out where he was and she went to him to find out where Kyle was. But he told her he did not know where Kyle was. So this is, again, like making no sense. So Brian told Kyle's family about them getting separated, which I'm sorry, they did not get separated. Brian abandoned him. If his story is accurate, Brian literally abandoned him. And I will tell you, I do know Brian's last name. I will not share it, but oh, I wish I, again, I would put him on blast so hard. <laughs> what a tool. Anyway, so uh, Kyle's family and friends organized a search of the entire area. And like I said, and this is, you're talking like 40 miles here dense populated area I believe they began searching kind of in the area of where Brian came out of the woods which was in Lake City and one of Kyle's friends really pushed Brian like Brian had no interest in even helping with the search but one of Kyle's friends was like dude you know you you gotta help so Brian did he assisted with the search but they found out later that Brian was leading them north towards Grayling and it was like the complete opposite direction or I'm sorry maybe it was south I'm not sure but regardless it was the complete opposite direction from where um they actually went missing so it's almost like he was trying to mislead them so during the search, uh, Brian showed Kyle's mom and her fiance the trail that he had walked out on. And sh he also showed them where he had hidden a trailer hitch ball um, that he had in case he needed a weapon. Now, I'm not exactly sure where this ball came from, if it came from the truck or not. Um, there is no mention that the trailer hitch was missing off the truck. If it even had one, I'm not sure. But I don't know if this is something that he found. But... This is something that, that Michelle mentioned in an interview she gave that there was this um, trailer hitch ball. So when Kyle's family, I think they've kind of felt like maybe Brian's story just wasn't really adding up. So they started to ask more questions. And the more they pushed Brian, the more he started to shut down. And Brian actually got a lawyer. And I believe within the first week of, of um, Kyle going missing, he got a lawyer and refused to speak um, on any of the events for that weekend. He refused to talk to the police. He was, um, it was requested that he take a polygraph to which he refused. I understand that polygraphs are not admissible. They're not, um, I'm not a fan of polygraph tests as a source of proof in any way, shape, or form. However, I do think that they can be a good investigative tool. I'm kind of torn about them, but I think in this particular case, it could have came in handy. Um, Brian did not seem to be under any kind of duress or stress whatsoever. And I really think that it could have helped the investigation. But as I said, he refused to take the polygraph. 
if he had no information about Kyle's whereabouts or what happened to him, why was it necessary to get a lawyer or refuse a polygraph test? It just didn't make any sense. So, um, a little over a week after Kyle went missing, a bear hunter who had been working with his dogs came across the abandoned pickup on a trail um, that dead ended at the dead stream swamp. So the, they they did find the, the truck. However, um, after being notified of its location, uh, Kyle's mom notified the police. So I think what happened was is that I'm not exactly sure why the police didn't know what, how Michelle found out before the police did, but um, I, I don't know if like Callie's mom was notified, but Kyle's mom found out about the location first and they were going to go out there the next morning to do a search. And that evening, like 45 minutes after she found out, the police came knocking on her door because they were like, you know, they, they were accusing her of hiding Kyle because he had this warrant. Well, again, this warrant only existed because he was missing. It wasn't like he, you know, just literally stole this truck. The The whole reason for the warrant was because they were trying to assist in the investigation. So... Michelle is like completely pissed off at this point and she even like slammed the door in their faces, told them to get off her property. Well, her fiance at the time ended up going out, going out there talking to the police officer and he told her, he came back in and said, look, let's let them know where the truck is. Because like I said, they were going to go, they kind of felt blown off by the police at that point. So they were going to go out and search the next morning where the truck was. And because you can't search in the dark, there's just no point. It's pitch black out there. So um, they ended up telling the police where the location of the truck was because they thought, you know, hey, maybe this will help. This is going to get them um, more resources to help find Kyle. So they told the police. And then at 8 a.m. the next morning, um, like I said, they had planned on a search. So they had a whole bunch of people coming out to the trailhead to meet there to do a, to do a search where the truck was. But when they get there, the police had the entire area roped off and they would not let them in. So they, like they had no access to the, to the trail. They had no access to the truck or anything. So as disheartening as it was to find the truck, but not find Kyle, this did give them a starting point. And um, I do want to point out that the truck was located approximately 10 miles from where Brian knocked on the door in Lake City. So again, something just does not add up there. So the police ended up bringing out a canine and a search team. Um, they searched for approximately four hours and then they told Kyle's family that they had exhausted all of their resources and called off their official search. Now, I'm going to get back up on my soapbox for a minute. Are you freaking kidding me? Four hours and one dog. That's... I understand, again, small town USA, but come on. You, you, you know this man. I mean, you, you have the person he was last seen with told you he was in the woods. You know, as far as you're concerned, as far as you're aware, this man is in these woods with his dog. You have the truck. 
what the hell is your problem? Four hours and one search dog and you've exhausted all of your resources. Really? That's all the resources you could come up with? It, it just, oh, God, I swear it's just mind boggling. I, I'll tell you, I, as much as sometimes I dream about living in a rural area, I am so glad I don't because it's just so frustrating. So, so frustrating. <sighs> okay. So, however, um, Like I said, this kind of gave them a starting point. And once the police called off their official search, this did allow Kyle and his family and his friends to conduct their own search. So it's like almost like once the police got the hell out of there, it really allowed Kyle's family and friends to get in there and get their feet on the ground and do what needed to do. So they ended up creating a side-by-side -side chain, you know, like the kind of chains that you see on TV when there's, when there's a child missing, where people are walking fingertip to fingertip, searching every inch. And guess what? They find stuff. Because they didn't exhaust all of their resources. So they actually found Kyle's foot flip-flops. And they were found in a heavily thick swampy area where the knee, where Michelle says like the weeds in this area were like knee high. They were found about a half a mile from where the truck was. And they had appeared to have been tossed, not like they were just like laying together or somebody had just taken them off and set them down. They, they were more like tossed. And Michelle even says, like, why would Kyle take his shoes off in this area? It just didn't make any sense. I mean, think about muddy, mucky, hilly, bumpy ground. You're going to want something protecting your feet, especially if you're out looking for the dog. You know, it just didn't make sense. So they would continue to search for weeks with no signs of Kyle. Um, Michelle would also say that she hired multiple search companies to come and assist, including multiple canine search teams and cadaver dogs. Rivers and swamps were searched, but the water covered hundreds of acres, so without official assistance, limited searches could happen. Some of the private search teams have said that there were areas that could not be searched safely, but they did point out that chances are people who are familiar with that area would know what these places were. So think about that for a second. Again, Brian was very familiar with the area, even though he was lost in it for three days. Um, he would probably know about these areas that people just could not get to. So they asked Kyle's family, asked the community to come to, to report any sightings from the area. And one couple came forward and said that they, um, either on Saturday or Sunday, they weren't really sure that um, those first couple of days after Kyle and Brian had gone missing, that they had given a shirtless man a ride on the back of their pickup truck. Now, they're saying it was in the same area that the truck was found in. Um, and like I said, he was shirtless. So they said they believed it was Kyle. Now, Kyle's family does not believe it was Kyle, and they believe that it was potentially Brian. 
Um, the reasoning for that is that Kyle and Brian have extremely similar body types and hair color. But Kyle had a very large tattoo across his back that said Mosier. And on his neck, he had a tattoo that said Layla. And the couple stated that they did not recall seeing a tattoo on the man. And if you think about it, if you're giving somebody a ride in the back of your pickup truck, you're not just going to let them hop back there and keep your eyes forward and never looking back. So if you've got a shirtless man sitting on the back of your truck, one glance in the mirror is going to tell you whether or not he has a tattoo across his back. And if they do not recall seeing this tattoo, chances are it was not Kyle. But the family, like I said, being that their body types were similar, the family does believe that it's reasonable to conclude that it was Brian. Um, then after about 20, 28 days after Kyle was last seen, um, someone actually found the dog, Holly, in the woods. She had been exposed to the elements and was, but was in stable condition. Kyle's dad ended up taking her in. Um, she lived a good life for a few years until she was tragically killed by a car. Kyle's family would go years without any updates on his location. Then a few years after he disappeared, um, a tree clearing company was clearing some of the woods and they found a leash and collar tied to one of the trees. They were familiar um, with the case because they actually knew um, Kyle's mom's fiance. And uh, Kyle... Um, Kyle's mom and her fiance had been together, I believe she said for about 17 years. So, um, you know, this man has been a big part of Kyle's life as well. So they, like I said, they knew, they knew, um, Kyle's mom's fiance and they were familiar with Kyle's case. So they actually took the leash and the collar to him and he did confirm that it did belong to Holly. Unfortunately, this would be the last clue that the family got um, that had anything to do with the disappearance of 27-year-old Kyle Mosier. The last person to see Kyle was Brian, and 10 years later, he is still not talking, nor has he been charged with anything relating to Kyle's disappearance. Kyle's mom believes that her son was the victim of foul play and that more than just Brian was involved. She says that she's very she was very close to her son and she honestly does not believe that he is still alive. She says that her goal isn't even to know really what happened, but she wants to give her son a final resting place and give her grandchildren a place to visit their father. Every year on the anniversary of his disappearance and his birthday, Kyle's mom, Michelle, and his sister celebrate his life. Kyle's mom says that, the 10 years, that after 10 years, Callie still struggles with missing her love. She also told me that one of the hardest parts is not being able to answer the questions asked by her three grandchildren who want to know where their daddy is. Kyle's baby girls were only one year and five months old when their dad disappeared and have no memory of their father. His son was only six and has very little memory. At the time of his disappearance, Kyle Allen Mosier was 27 years old. 5 foot 10 and approximately 170 pounds. He had blue eyes and dark hair. He had a large tattoo across his back that said Mosier 
and Layla on his neck, plus many other tattoos. Also, his cell phone was never recovered. There have been other people to go missing in or around the Dead Stream Swamp, which spanned approximately 20 miles, but most have been found. Michelle was contacted about two years ago about a human skull that had been found in the area, but police believed that it belonged to a woman. She was told that although it was sent for analysis, it could take years to determine the identity of the person, but again, they say it was not Kyle. No tip is too small. Even rumors may have some truth. I will say that Kyle's mom is very active on Facebook and runs a page called Help Find Kyle Mosier and has asked that if you know anything to please reach out to her through the Facebook page. Feel free to contact the police, but as they have been pretty little, very little help, um, please make sure that you also notify her of any tip that you call in because that way she can make sure that the tip is investigated. I believe that it's, I believe that it's all fair to say that honestly, there's no proof that Kyle was ever even in the woods that day. All information given is based on the, based off of a person who has refused to speak to police or the victim's family. So that is a potential theory um, that possibly the truck was left there by Brian um, and Kyle was never in those woods. I mean, if the only person to go off of is Brian's story, how can you literally believe any of it? I mean... Let's let's think of it this way. I'm just going to kind of go with the theory here. At some point after leaving Houghton Lake, uh, something happened to Kyle. Don't know what. Um, Brian did what Brian did and then potentially dumped... Uh, the truck made it look like it got stuck and then made it look like Holly ran away by tying her to a tree. I mean, how else would her leash get tied? Let, let's just think about this for a second. Holly was missing for 28 days. She had at some point wiggled out of her, of her leash because it was tied to a tree. It, it, it to me it just seems highly unlikely that Kyle was in those woods. I I firmly believe that something happened to him uh, prior to the truck getting stuck on the uh, on the stump, and I firmly believe that this particular person, Brian, had something to do with his disappearance. Um, or at the very least knows what happened and where Kyle is. And I really wish um, that he or the person responsible for this man's disappearance could just give his family some closure. I mean, come on, just even if it's as much as sending, I mean, what kind of evidence is going to be left if, you know, God forbid the body was left in the swampy area there's there's going to be very little evidence, okay? Give this family the peace they need. They're not even asking for justice, for God's sake. They're asking for peace. 
Give the family the peace that they deserve. Send an anonymous letter to to her, Michelle. I mean, Michelle is all over the internet, okay? Send her a letter. Send the police a letter anonymously. You know, wear some, wear some rubber gloves so there's no DNA. Tell this family where this man is so that they can have some closure. They want a headstone so that these three babies can go spend time with their dad. Oh, so infuriating. So I want to give a special thank you to Michelle Fowler. Again, um, the, the website, the Facebook page is help find Kyle Mosier. This is K Y L E M O S H E R. Kyle Mosier, help find Kyle Mosier is the Facebook page. Um, Michelle Fowler is his mom's name. M I C H E L L E F O W L E R. She has no problem whatsoever being contacted. If you have a legitimate tip, don't contact her for some stupid stuff. But if you have like something legitimate, even if it's just a rumor that you've heard, please reach out to this woman because she needs to know. Okay. So again, special thanks to Michelle. Michelle, you are amazing. Thank you so much for being willing to talk to me. Um, your strength and determination to get answers for you, your son, your family. It's just overwhelming. I, I must have listened to the Lost Soul vodcast that you did five times. It just, let me tell you, I wish you, you know, my mom is up in heaven. And let me tell you, I wish you were my mom because your passion for your children unbelievable. And I wish I could hug you right now because you're seriously just an amazing woman and you're, you're so awesome. Um, thank you again to help find Kyle Moser Facebook page and the website for getting the information out there, um, to the mystical awakening vodcast lost souls. Thank you for posting your in-depth, in-depth interview with Michelle. Um, I've got a lot of great information and from that, from that vodcast and to be able to sit there, um, for that hour and a half and, um, just watch Michelle interact with you guys was absolutely amazing. Um, to all of Kyle's loved ones, uh, I pray that you all get the closure that you need to Callie, um, sweet Connor, Layla and Ava. Um, my thoughts and prayers are with you guys. Yeah, I I just can't even imagine what you're going through. Uh, Callie, I hope you find peace someday. Um, Seriously heartbreaking, guys. Um, For now, this has been Michigan Unsolved. Um, I'll be bringing you another case next week. And um, just remember, share this podcast. Let's get these stories out there. Guys, I don't care... I don't care about anything. I don't care about my name. I could take my name off this podcast. I I don't even care about my name. I want these stories shared and told as much as possible. You know, let me let me just tell you something really quick. I was talking to a friend of mine the other day, um, and 
he asked me how I get the information for these for these podcasts. And I told him, I said, you know what, I it takes a lot of time. It really does. I do the research. I pull up every single article that I can find. I Facebook search. I may Facebook stalk a little bit. <laughs> um, I pull up YouTube videos, articles, anything I can find, other podcasts. I try to compile all the information. I try to validate the information by at least three sources to make sure that the information is correct. Um, and I mean, case in point, I, I watched one quick video that said that Kyle had four kids. He didn't. He had three. So some information is incorrect. So I try to make sure that I validate everything. And one of the ways that I validate everything is by contacting the victim's family. Now, he, this friend of mine was like completely blown away by that. He's like, seriously? And I said, yeah. And the majority of the time, the victim's families want to talk to me or any other person that's trying to tell their loved one's story. Because the only way, especially older cold cases, the only way that you're going to get anywhere at this point is to get these stories out there. And so many cases have been so have been solved years later with today's technology, with with podcasts, with interviews, with YouTube, with so many things that are happening with today's technology that they didn't have 20 years ago. And um, I think it's just so important to keep telling these stories and keep saying these people's names. I mean, let me tell you that Kyle's name is going to be stuck. I have a coworker named Kyle. See him every day. Every time I see him, I'm going to be thinking about Kyle Mosier because come on, he's just so young, so young and such a bright future ahead of him um, with his beautiful children. And one of the pictures I'm going to um, put on the Michigan Unsolved Facebook page was actually taken at Lake James with his two kids, with two of his kids, um, just hours before he went missing. This happy dad and his two beautiful babies. Ah, so heart-wrenching. So again, keep sharing these, keep sharing these podcasts, get it, get the information out there. Um, if you live in that area, Cadillac, Houghton Lake, Higgins Lake, that whole area, say his name. Get his name out there. Don't let people forget. Do it for those children. Do it for Callie. Do it for Michelle. Do it for his sister. Because they really do deserve peace. So, again, uh, my name is Christy, and I am the host of Michigan Unsolved. And until next week, when I bring you the next unsolved case from Michigan. Bye-bye. <laughs>